Good evening, everyone. This is Rich Duncan with Ink Heist, and tonight I'm joined by my partner in crime, Shane Douglas Keene, and we're welcoming back John F.D. Taft to talk about the third installment in the Fearing series, Air and Dust. So, kick things off. John, how are you doing today? I am doing great. I'm in here in my office with my pugs and and the rest of a gin and tonic that I sorted earlier. So should be a fun should be a fun talk. Yeah. Speaking of, yeah. Speaking of fear, what are your pugs' names? Uh, I go by a peculiar naming uh, <laughs> tradition with my pugs. They're all the name. They're they're all named after old Jewish ladies. So. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I, uh, my original pug was Sylvia. God rest her soul. Um. I had a Hector. He was hit by a car. He was the dog that that uh, I wrote here for. Um, and then my three current ones are Tova. She's uh, 12, going on 13. Sylvia, uh, Sadie, excuse me. She is 10, going on 11. And Muriel, she's 5, going on 6. Ah, uh, yeah. We have uh, several old dogs like that, too. Yeah. But- None that could lay a claim to purebred, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got uh, uh, one of them is completely stone deaf. Tova is completely stone deaf. Uh, Sadie is completely blind. She's the dog that I tripped down the stairs with and broke my femur. And Muriel is insane. So deaf, dumb, and insane. Deaf, uh, <laughs> blind, insane. Excuse me. And that's kind of the three primary traits of a pug personality, <laughs> right there. <laughs> exactly. exactly. But they're all snoozing away on the dog bed in my office, so we nice. should be good to go. It's good to have company. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I, I digress. I just have uh, been meaning to ask you about that. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, John, with uh, Aaron Dust. I know the last time we spoke, we went over what happened in the second book and right. th- that ending. So when I picked up Aaron Dust, I thought, you know, I don't know why I thought this, but yeah. I, I thought it was going to just pick up immediately after. And I was kind of surprised when it didn't. Like, I liked it, but I was like, wow, OK. Like, I thought we were going to jump right into the fallout <laughs> from that. And I was just wondering because I knew you were rejiggling these you know mm-hmm. as they were coming out and stuff like originally did you have it pick right off there or did you always kind of want to you know kind of leave readers with that for a little while it it never uh jumped right back in originally book three or the or when it was all one book the section of it that became uh book three uh mm-hmm. opened up with the introduction of um uh, Monday and Mark. And uh, I think I told you before, I think one of the things, one of the best um, insights I had in the book from somebody who read it before it was published was what Alan Baster said, which is, you know, you've got these Mark and Monday characters that, that seem to be very important to the story and you don't unveil them until, uh, you know, what became book three. It's probably, it would probably be better if you move them up. So we move them up and a couple of their chapters up. So they would have started book three, but when uh, we moved them, I just decided instead of leaping right back into uh, the bus, the senior bus company and the teens, yeah. 
I decided to uh, probably in an effort to be as cruel as possible, <laughs> uh, decided to go a different direction. So I think probably most people did expect that it was going to pick up right there. But, you know, that was just me being a dick. <laughs> yeah i thought that was i thought i loved that but at the same time like when i was waiting for book three i was like man i can't wait to get this so that like when i jump right into it you know it's gonna pick yeah. up right there and and then i was like oh wait a second <laughs> yeah jim uh, I, jim I didn't really liquid have... of honesty <laughs> <laughs> i really had no such expectations from you though personally mm-hmm. john you don't ever well, do anything I expect you to do. <laughs> yeah, well, and some of it was was that, and some of it was I wanted that that death at the end of uh, book two to resonate a little bit more. So I think uh, taking some time away from the bus tour and the teens and giving Mark and Monday and what was going on with them and, and introducing the reader to... Uh, Camp Stragalot and, uh, you know, what was going on there, that seemed to be more important to the thrust of the story at the moment than picking up exactly where uh, the death ended. Right, right. And, yeah, I think that was actually pretty effective because really that was the end of an important scene and that it was stronger standing alone. Yeah. Yeah. (coughs) I I agree with (laughs) I agree with Shane there because like I kind of knew that it wasn't going to, but I think like your typical reader, you know, fan, they would have expected that. But I like that you didn't because it, you know, it did resonate because you're like, wow, you know, when we do get back to these people, you know, like how is Kyle going to be? How is the rest of the group going to be? Yeah, it, it I wanted some time for that to play itself out in the reader's mind before they eventually get into what, you know, what the story has to say about what, what happened after that. But really, um, in this book, book three, um, you really, really, really go a long ways towards cementing the importance of the two characters we've been talking about, Mark and Monday. Right. Um, yeah, that was intentional. Yeah. Cause there, there are some important, super important things we learn about these characters in this book that carry the story forward and make the next one actually have some kind of meaning to you. Yeah, I think in book two, when uh, the characters, the senior characters, start to get an idea, mainly through Charles, of of what might be happening, that was the first kind of peak uh, for the readers to, to kind of be able to tell what was going on or have some idea what was going on. And I wanted the next part of that to come from uh, Monday. Uh, because as you guys know, you guys have read book four now, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> um, not that not that today is the time to talk about book four, but you know from reading book four that these, these two characters are, are supremely important to the thrust of the story from here on out. Yeah, yeah, this actually marks the first one in the series where I've actually read the next one in addition to the one we're talking Uh about. So it's an interesting, because I'm struggling not to talk about book four, to be honest, (laughs) because we we have things to say. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. Um, but in the meantime, yeah, there's some talk about it, it to the degree that you want to spoil anything. There mm-hmm. are spoilers here sometimes. Yeah. Talk about some of the um, mayhem that happens at uh, Stragalot. And... Well, I, you know, I think in in the third book here, my intention was to open it up a little bit more so that you see that there is a greater number of survivors than just the people that we've talked about, you know, thus far in books one and two. And I wanted to give the reader some idea of what was going on, what these people were trying to do, um, trying to come together. You know, in any apocalyptic novel, you you generally have some group of, of people you know, getting together and trying to protect each other and trying to put back to some degree or another um, their lives. Um, So I wanted to take some time to, you know, slow it down a little and look at that and then give Mark and Monday a chance to get to know each other a little bit more. Um, And then at the end of that, well, at the end of book three, I wanted to also touch on something else that I was pretty clear from the very beginning of the book that I thought would happen when you, you know, when you have something where society is coming apart, where civilization is falling apart. Generally speaking, you'll have someone. I think it's only human nature that you'll have someone who rises up to try to take over. Right. And, uh, so there, at the end of the book, and this is, I guess, a spoiler. Um, at the end of book three, you have uh, Tim Jacoby who shows up on the scene. He really doesn't. We don't really do too much with him at the end of book three. He's really more for book four, but he does show up, and so the reader hopefully will know that you know there's going to be some problems with <laughs> with this guy. That and, the gov the yeah. governor just got to town. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, you know he's not. He's not in any sense of the word word good news. Yeah, no. <laughs> I had made a note here. Um, I'm not sure what I was thinking about. I think maybe I was just summarizing to myself after I finished reading that book was mm-hmm. um, assholes, orphans, bloodbaths, and the wrath of God. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that pretty much describes everything that happens to struggle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, so one of the other reviewers uh, who's read it uh, said something that I thought was pretty interesting, that, that normally in an apocalyptic book, when you get these groups of people that start to come together, it, it's it generally is to protect each other. And, and there's a sort of a, you know, a sense of, of security that comes from this. But the way that I've constructed this, you know, end of the world that's not the case bringing all these people together has no effect at all on what's going on and in fact it it i guess in some respects uh and i'm referring to one chapter um really it it really exacerbates things um because it puts together a whole bunch of people and then concentrates all of these fears again and uh you know, that one uh, chapter that I'm referring to, which I believe is chapter 25. It's called All Over the World Tonight. Um, I wanted to give a little slice, just a little slice of 
other things that might be going on, you know, during the time that some other bad stuff is going on in the camp. That's not the only bad stuff that's going on in the camp. Look at all these other things that are also happening at the same time. So uh, hopefully that amped up the, the the fear a little bit more for the reader. That at least was my intention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I think I know exactly what uh ch- what you're talking about because I had I had mentioned that when I reviewed Aaron Dust is mm-hmm. I like that where it was like these these scenes like quick little scenes right. that were like from various people. And, you know, that's one of the interesting things to kind of a separate comment is that, you know, book three, it's gearing things up for the end. So it's kind of like one of those books where you're moving the characters along to try and get them to that end point. And a lot of times, like there's certain other books, I didn't get it in this book, but, you Mm -hmm. know, like Game of Thrones, for example, where... I think it was like either book three or four, the one where people were like, it's just a bunch of people like moving around. (laughs) Right. Like I felt like these scenes, it helped like amplify the scares because some of them were very scary and they were also like more personal. Like all the fears are personal. Like when Kyle saw the snakes, but like there was the couple that saw their son that was pretty chilling and then also we start to see like more human fears like we kind of did before but like you know there was the one fear with like the lady who thought the guy was gonna help her and he ended up being a uh a very scary creepy asshole (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and again as we get down to it really um I also want to let people know that it's not just this, it's not just all supernatural stuff. It's, you know, with, with that little snippet that you're talking about, and also with the introduction of Tim Jacoby at the end, um, it's people too. You know, again, this plays out in a bigger way in just the, the general genre of horror that sometimes the worst monsters are the people. Um, so, you know, I wanted to get some of that into the book, too. So, <clears throat> but this is definitely a uh, a bit of breath. Book three is a bit of breath before book four, and it all goes to complete shit. <laughs> you know, what's funny is, like, it kind of is, but, like, I didn't even really take it that way. Because uh-huh. when I read it, I thought... I personally thought it was just as, you know, action packed as the other ones, like the, you know, the big attack on Strag a lot right, and stuff like that. But I also thought it was interesting that I think I mentioned it's kind of like where everything else was more, you know, about the fears attacking these people. Mm-hmm. We start to see more of like a psychological impact, like with uh, Adam and Jelnick, you know, and they're kind of like really getting in their own heads about, you know, like, are we the bad guys and like kind of what they are and the same with Mark and Monday, but like on the different side of the spectrum. And I thought that was unique that, you know, they were starting to kind of like dig into themselves and figuring out their place and everything. Yeah. I think it was important. Um, You know, you see a certain side of Adam at the very beginning of the book one. Um, and you see this character that 
sort of doesn't know who he is, sort of doesn't know uh, the power that he has and, and what his role in all this is. And as you get further into this, my, my hope is that I've painted a picture where he is beginning to realize, you know, at least in book three, maybe not all the way, but most of the way, what his role in all this is and who he is and what he's doing. Um, you know, things in book one and book two may have seemed a little bit haphazard concerning Adam because he truly was just kind of figuring out who he was and, and what he was doing and, you know, what his you know part in all this was. Um, so I wanted some of that to play out, and I also wanted to play out that same kind of thing, that that learning uh, between Mark and Monday, even though Monday, I think, is is much more aware of who she is and what her role is in all of this than at least than uh, how Adam started out. Right. And she's and she's a little bit uh, more enigmatic about it yet. Right. Yeah, she's she know. I think she's much more aware of who and what she is and what her role is than Adam ever was, or you know, spoiler alert, probably ever will be. Right, right. And she's kind of too the catalyst that really um, you use her to uh, demonstrate to us certain aspects of Mark's character that come as a big surprise at one point in that book. Yeah. Well, and I think we've talked about this too. And uh, I, uh, I knew when I sat out to write this book that there would be lots of comparisons between this book and the apocalyptic books that have come before it. You know, Swan Song and and The Stand, chief among them. And one of the things that has had, even though The Stand is one of my favorite books, you know, one of the things that always bothered me about The Stand was the kind of uh, the end of the book, which, you know, the the end of the conflict was much more of a, you know, deus ex machina than than I cared for um, with a literal hand of God, you know, coming down to, to save the day. And I wanted to make sure that in having the character of Mark, uh, who he is as a, as a, you know, a Christian minister, I wanted to make sure that I steered way clear of that. Um, right. And it's funny because I, I knew I wanted to stay way clear of that. But when Mark's character came to mind as I was writing the story, um, I, I initially was not, you know, he came he came to me as, you know, characters do. They they came they come into your mind with a certain look and a certain voice and. And, and sometimes with a certain profession, if it's, you know, legitimate to the story. So when he came through as a as a uh, reverend, I, you know, that threw me for a while because I'm thinking, you know, this is going to be in some regards the linchpin character for the book. And I don't want to go down the same road that King went down at the end of the stand. You know, that that bothered me. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't, you know. Yeah, I didn't mirror that. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I wanted to make I wanted to make 
Mark much more reliant on himself than uh, what his profession might might seem, you know, to make him choose, you know, more more of a reliance on God or religion or whatnot. Um, but I had to get him there. Right, right. And so uh, that 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 back and forth between Monday in books three and four is is really my way of getting him there. Yeah, you can you really get to see the evolution um, mostly throughout the course of the dialogue, some inner monologue. But mm-hmm. I've been curious about that character since you introduced him, and we've talked about it some. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and that you know, because I know your your views about God and whatnot, and mm-hmm. um, I share them. Um, and I found it interesting. What was meaning to ask you the first time that character came in and forgot to ask you was, was there some level of trepidation? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Not just from the story standpoint that I just, that I just told you, but you know, I have friends, I have family members who are people of great faith and I did not want in any way to, um, to use this character to be a, a sort of way for me to make comments about how I felt about religion or how I felt about faith. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't want it to be something that people would read, people that I know and love who have a great deal of faith. I didn't want them to read the book and go, eh, well, that, you know, he's taking a swing at us here. So, yeah, that was really important Uh and uh, yeah, it, it did throw me for a loop. Like I said, I, I, I didn't want to go down the path where, you know, the book turns into a God rescues everything. But I don't I didn't also want to turn into a book that that was sort of my way of left handedly taking a jab at, you know, Christianity or people of faith or, or whatever. So, yeah, it was it was it was weird. I wrestled with the with the idea of him as a reverend for quite a while. Um, there were several times in uh, the early parts of writing his character and their scenes together where I just thought I would scrap it all together and make him something else or, you know, change the character significantly. But, um, you know, I hope I was able to skate that line. I, I, I certainly didn't, I don't want to use the book as a, you know, weird way for me to make comments on something like that. No, and it doesn't come off that way. The, the key word you said there, um, the word um, faith. Yeah. Faith comes along yeah. in multiple different forms throughout this book. Mm-hmm. Most most of those forms having um, very little to do with religious faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, they do in a way... But it's also there's also a certain reliance that people are starting to develop, right? And you're really you're really seeing it in by book three, um, where they have they're developing faith in each other, right? Yeah, and uh, uh, spoiler alert: I think that that's a yeah. that's a key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, that faith I, that faith in humanity and that faith in. Um, your fellow humans, I think, is uh, the direction that I chose to go in. Um, that seemed, to me at least, 
um, as you get into book four, as you get to the end of the thing, seem to be a much more uplifting message than than you know God coming in and rescuing everything. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think he did a good job with that and walking the line. Um, and we've already kind of gotten into spoiler (laughs) territory, but yes. So for people listening, it's going to probably have a lot of spoilers, but I thought it was spoilers from here on out. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought it was interesting, like with the attack on camp straggle out with like the vampires. Mm -hmm. Cause like, I know you didn't want it to be like, you know, God rescues everything, and you also didn't want it to be, like, taking a shot at that. But I thought it was one of my favorite scenes in the book is when, you know, the carnage of the vampires is just ripping through the camp. Right. And Mark, he, the only thing he really has, you know, is his cross and his faith. And that was, like, one of the coolest scenes in the book when, you know, he just started, like, shooting, like, that beam out of the cross and stuff and just, like, yeah. roasting the vampires. But it was interesting because it kind of hinted at what you said about faith, but not even necessarily, like, religious. Because I'm a little foggy because I kind of read these back to back. Right. But like the thing the the power from the cross and like you know destroying all the vampires you know it mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily religious based so i thought that was interesting like it kind of straddled both lines like it was his yeah. faith i think it, it was more that. his faith in himself and his faith in his own belief so, which, not, which not, sorry yeah. go ahead no no go ahead I was just going to say, which, which in that very scene, uh, Monday kind of gives, kind of instills that faith in right. himself, in him. Yeah, yeah. I think that, uh, I think, you know, that scene spoke to his belief in himself and his belief in his own, his strength in his own faith, uh, rather than his strength in the belief that, you know, God was going to come down and save the day. Um, and I think that, you know, you know, I can't really spot. Well, I was going to say something about the end of book four, but let's not go there yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, you guys, you guys think we're spoiling this fucker now. <laughs> <laughs> kind, of, kind of building off that though. And hopefully you wouldn't have to really touch into mm-hmm. anything from book four, but, um, Oh crap! I just lost my train. <laughs> Rich pulled his shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor Jim. No, and it, it was pretty good, I thought. Anyway. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, well, th- go ahead, Rich. We'll wait. I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I took another big glug of gin, so I'm ready. <laughs> yes. Moving on. Well, we're still on. Actually, while well, we're still on the subject of faith a little bit, or I am anyway, because I obsess over shit. Um, that's something you mentioned about Mark and his belief in himself, and you know his fit, like you said, faith in his himself. But then you said, and in his own faith, and it's kind of an interesting, interesting thing. Thing putting those together when you think about, you know, he had faith in his own faith. Right. But really to a religious person, that's 
more important to them than the belief itself. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, you know, I think that ever since Mark was introduced in the story, it was apparent that he was wrestling with some shit. I mean, his church was failing. Um, uh, You know, there wasn't a whole lot for him to show for this life that he's he chosen to live. Um, And I think he was starting to, you know, he was starting to have some doubts and everything. And I think that this journey that he's been on with Monday uh, has opened his mind about the things that he was struggling with um, in a bigger way than I think he would have ever had them opened if it was just him. Um, And I think that that hopefully that payoff comes at the end of book four, you know, at the end of the end of everything. Yeah. Yeah. I finally, I finally remembered what I was going to say. Yeah. It might even even ties in the Shanes, but hopefully it doesn't have to do with book four. But one thing that I thought was interesting is like in book one, you had Kyle who was afraid of snakes, but he kind of realized what he had to do and he Mm -hmm. stopped kind of being afraid and the snakes left. But that scene at Camp Straggleout with Mark, that was the first time I can think of really where one of the characters you know through their own faith whether it be in themselves or you know whatever Mm -hmm. was able to manifest something that not only like just diverted the fears but kind of destroyed them and i didn't know if maybe that was just because of his relationship with monday and it makes it more kind of interesting because you know he's grappling with those things about himself but yet he was the one that was able to kind of not just divert the fears, but destroy yeah. them. I think that um, I think that the throughout the store throughout the book that different people have dealt with their fears in different ways in the way that probably you know is more uh, fitting, keeping in fitting with the with the particular character. So I think when Mark went out to address you know, that particular fear he did in a way that 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 made sense for his character. Um, the fact that it was probably a much more, you know, uh, definite way of dealing with the fear. You know, that was probably just me being dramatic about it. But, you know, he he's using something within him to deal with that fear it just manifested it, 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 and the snakes just leaving. I could have, I guess I could have had the snakes just burst into flames or something, but <laughs> that probably wouldn't have, that probably wouldn't have been in as uh, keeping it with that scene as having the vampires dispatched in this way. Yeah, no, I, I thought it, I thought it was cool. I just, I wasn't sure like how it had come about, but it kind of makes sense. But well, and I I have to tell you also that, and you know, again, without getting into book four, that decision on Mark's part and what happened really, yeah. as you know, comes to play at the end. And and he could he could have done something completely different at the end of book four, based yeah. on what he does here. And he doesn't. 
Yeah, uh, it's funny. I was going to kind of touch on that, you know, kind of like the without getting into that part of the book right. in specifics, but just kind of like the dichotomy that, you know, based on some of the things that happen in that book versus this book, because, mm-hmm. you know, the way that it manifests in here and then the way, you know, it's a lot more kind of extravagant. It's, you know, it didn't like what ended up happening. Like, I don't know if he planned on that. It just kind of came out versus what, you know, how he handles things later. Well, and I think that, you know, it was important for me uh, as the storyteller here, when he does do what he does at the end of it all, that, it's a hard choice because he's already done this once and had yeah. success with it. And for him to, to put that down and walk away from it and choose a different path, you know, I, I wanted that to carry some dramatic weight to it. So, you know, I think that when people read book three and then when you get to book four and all this stuff that we're alluding to happens – Hopefully they're going to see that it would have been way easier for him to go this other route, but I don't know what you know. I don't know what would have happened. I don't know if the result would have been the same. And that's kind of where you can see with that character in this book, um, more so in four, but like you say, we won't go there. Um, is Monday steering him more steering, and more and right. more in the direction of humanity? closer right. to humans you know because because really for for a religious figure he's kind of an aloof character yeah he does i mean that whole thing at the beginning where he's not really big with kids and you know he doesn't know how to relate to monday at first because she's a you know she's a teenager and he does come off i wanted him to come off as a little bit more removed from humanity so that when the change comes um, it's more, like I said, it's more dramatic. It's more, it's more of a, a profound sea change for the character. It's a, it's a real eye opener. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of it, it. You you kind of feel it happening in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but more what you feel happening in this book is is she is kind of shaping him into the focal point. Which, right. which obviously the story was going to need all along. And not to um, be too, uh, you know, dramatic or symbolic or anything, but when you, when you stop and think about who Monday is, and then you look at how, you know, what she's, how the effect that she's having on him, that, that's a real key, you know, to to it all really yeah the effect yeah. becomes much more profound once you learn all yeah. there is to know about monday right yeah and it was kind of you know that's kind of interesting too in their relationship and like especially in this book you start to see it develop more like how her relationship is with mark and how jelnick and adam are like you start to see more right. of them starting to develop a close not necessarily a closer bond but like before you know Jelnik was just kind of like the driver but you start to see like more stuff bleed in with them so I thought that was like a cool contrast that like as we progress with Mark and Monday being closer 
you have yeah. Chelnick and Adams thing going on. Right. I definitely wanted to draw that 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 contrast between the relationship that 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 Monday has with with Mark versus what Adam has with Jelnick. I mean, that's a you know that those two relationships are profoundly different. Um, so yeah. You know, there's there's another character whose uh, importance to the story takes me by surprise eventually is Jelnick. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Jelnick is is you know, uh, Jelnick is is another in the great line of characters like uh, uh, Warm Tongue in in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Right. Uh, in uh in in the stand I guess he would be who was I can't remember the characters Lloyd 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 yeah the guy the guy in prison yeah, yeah. although Jelnick is a little bit more uh kind of a cross between Lloyd and Trash Can Man yeah he's a little he's a little more opportunistic and I think he's a little more I'm just not going to think about what's going on here that much at least at the beginning uh, and a little bit more, you know, this is a man who's used to surviving, but to to survive in in the uh, you know at the time he where he was living, you know, he's had to do some fairly awful things, um, mostly to himself, just to abase himself, just to to get by. Um, but I think that you know, Jelnick is somebody who at some point in the book, and I can't remember if it's in three or four, um, he's pretty clear about what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that was four, but... Right. <laughs> I'm fuzzy on that, too. It was either close to the end of three or yeah, close to the beginning remember. of four. <laughs> I can't remember anymore. I'm too yeah. fucking old. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, he is someone who, like... Uh, a lot of the characters, particularly in book four, are going to have to make a choice, and they do make a choice. Um, so. Yeah, all of them make some really significant choices. Right. There are some some pretty significant choices that occur in this book, but really, yeah, and I'll shut up now. <laughs> I, knew, I knew coming into this I was going to have a bitch of a time not going there with that, because yeah. I like just finished that day before yesterday or something. You know, the, the one thing about uh, book three being sort of the breath uh, before the end is there, you know, and not that we're going to spend a bunch of time talking about book four here, but book four, in my mind, book four is packed with shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's like book, th- book three is kind of like the big, long, indrawn breath right before the yep. scream. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on in book book four, but I didn't, you know, we didn't want to move too much of that into book three because it just didn't seem like, uh, it d- didn't seem like once you got going with that, there was a good place to stop it and then pick it up again in book four. So, you know, having Jacoby show up, or Jacoby, or I, I call him something different every time I say his name. Um, <laughs> but having him show up at the end of book three seemed to be a good place to stop, you know, without, you know, getting too much of uh, book four into it. So, 
Right, and and also a good place to make people want to turn to book four in the first place. Yeah, because I th- I think you know hopefully you get the idea that when he does show up that this is not good. Um, yeah. And you know some bad shit is going to happen here, uh, and then so that bad shit's got to play out, and then the rest of the stuff that we've been building to for the last three books has also got to play out. So uh, yeah, there's a lot going on, but you know I there there is a lot that happens in book three that I really like that, that chapter that we talked about a little earlier, chapter 25 all over the world. Um, that was a fun chapter to write for me. One of those, uh, one of the little, uh, stories that I told in, in chapter 25 is actually, uh, I ran a contest a long time ago, um, for people to, and I can't even remember what it was, but the winner, the winner got written into the book. And so Jamie Wargo, who is a, a, a big horror fan that follows me on Twitter, she won. So that, that initial chunk of the story in chapter 25, where I, where the, the uh, mother and the father and the young son, yeah. are, uh, that's, that's them. <laughs> oh, so interesting. They were, they were kind enough to let me kill their entire family. I, <laughs> viciously yeah (laughs) yeah that that scene that that scene was i liked all of them but that one probably stuck with me the most you know it's weird um i uh about a month ago i had a reading here at the local library where i live and um i you know thought about what i might read and and i chose that chunk of the story to to read at the uh at the presentation and you know we, i had about you know seven or eight people it's what you get at a reading and uh i read that that section after i did a, a some q a and you know i actually got upset by it i don't get that upset about stuff and i try not to read things in public that are going to make me upset but i got a i got pretty worked up at towards the end of it um which surprised the hell out of me yeah, I, I can see why, because like I said, when I first read it and I'm like, OK, surely they're going to, you know, they're not they're not going to like, you know, really believe this. Right. But they do. And I think I think because the same reason it stuck with me, you know, being a father especially is, you know, they're dealing with that grief and stuff and even though they know that right you know this is not really their son i yeah. you know you just want just, the kid back yeah and like so that like pain you know that really came through so i could i could see how that would happen because it kind of happened to me when i was reading it like i think i got literal goosebumps when i was reading it and i was like you know wow i i couldn't even imagine yeah you right. know being know. in that situation no, but it, it worked, you know, I, I was surprised how well it worked, you know, for me, because um, that, that really did take me off guard. I had to actually stop and apologize. <laughs> I'm like, oh, sorry, this doesn't normally happen, but give me a second here to regroup. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, there are a lot of things about book three that I really like, you know, that and, and then first and foremost, first and foremost the the deepening of the relationship between Mark and Monday, which is so, you know, critical to the thrust of the book. Um, 
uh, I like the way that that plays out. I like the relationship that they have. Um, and of course, again, that just goes into the hopper of all the things that I've done in books one, two, and three that hopefully by the time book four ends, we'll make it, oh, that's so much worse <laughs> yeah. than it, you know, it might otherwise have been. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, because there's there's feels like there's so much more of a human impact there. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, and I mean, just the the emotion, the levels of emotion all throughout book three, and then I mean, I won't even <laughs> go there with book four. Um, it's it's a rare author who brings a tear to Shane's eye, but <laughs> I can't say that's the first time yeah. you've ever done that. But you, well, you... That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully, there's been a couple. Hopefully, what I'm kind of known for. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, but that's, uh, this is one of my favorite authors. I think we've talked about this too, is Stephen R. Donaldson, uh, the fantasy author, um, his Chronicles of Thomas, Thomas Covenant, the unbeliever was something that I started reading when I was in junior high. And, uh, you know, he basically finally finished, uh, the series just a couple of years ago. And, uh, he, in an interview, said a long time ago, before I even had an inkling that I might actually uh, become a writer, was, uh, you know, his idea for um, telling a story was, you you know, you put some characters together, you make the readers care for the characters, and then you spend the rest of the story kicking the shit out of the characters. Um, and that's kind of what I've subscribed to with a heavy heavy hand about making the reader care about the characters, because then when you twist the knot, um, you know, it hurts. You, you care about these people that, that, you know, uh, you're reading about, uh, it, it just makes the things that happen that much worse. Yeah. You make somebody care. And then when, then when, uh, you kick the shit out of your characters, your readers feel the bruise. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, I, it's a simple thing to talk about, but, you know, it's a hard thing to do uh, successfully. So I'm glad to hear that. Uh, uh, I'm glad to hear that you're sort of intimating that I may have, have been successful with that with the end of the end of the whole thing. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Especially especially by the end. But yeah. But uh, yeah, the other thing that I liked about this book is it's the first time that we see I guess we'll just we'll just call it the darkness. Yes. It's the first time that it shows up. That more than even all of the fears to me, like even having read the end, well, mm -hmm. there's some stuff in the end that kind of rivals it, but <laughs> the dar the darkness to me was like the scariest thing that happened because it's kind of like one of those like unstoppable forces. Like right. it just keeps going and going. And it's not like the fears where if you kind of realize you don't need to be afraid, it goes away. It just right. endlessly marches on. There's nothing you can do to it. You can't reason with it. It just is. And like some of the descriptions we get throughout about, you know, the darkness and kind of what's inside of it, even like mm -hmm. I kind of pictured it in my head and I was like, how fucking creepy would that be <laughs> to just see this like 
you know, impenetrable darkness with like these things in it, but not necessarily, they're not even really doing anything, but you're seeing them in there and like knowing that you can't really get away from it. Well, that's the, you know, darkness is the primal fear, isn't it? I mean, it's the fear that we first have as a child, that fear of, of being alone in the dark. And, and so I knew I had to deal with that somehow. And since it was such a big primal fear and that, that, you know, transcends everything, it transcends culture, it transcends gender, it transcends religion, it transcends everything. Every culture has a fear of the darkness. Mankind is just, you know, we're just monkeys afraid of the darkness at our very heart. So I knew I had to deal with it in a big way. So, you know, that that collapsing darkness that is now, in, in, in addition to everything else that's going on, you've got this, oh, my God, this collapsing darkness that is just eating up the country. And what do we do? What do we do? Yeah, it's kind of, uh, I mean, like you say, that the fear of darkness, I mean, the fear of darkness and the fear of death kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know? I mean, especially if you're someone like me who's hardcore atheist, that's what you expect to find on that side. Right. Yeah, <laughs> nothing. You know, so, yeah, it's even that, prob- more than likely, the order is reversed and the fear of death <laughs> is where the fear of darkness comes sure, from. Sure, sure, exactly. So, you know, I think that uh, that was a way for me to ratchet up the, the tension. You know, okay, what if they deal with all this stuff, they deal with all the fears, there's still the darkness there. The darkness is collapsing in, and what are you going to do about that? Not what you'd expect. Not what you'd expect, yeah. that's right. <laughs> that is right, and and... You know, I'm glad. I'm glad, you know, again, we're not going to touch too much on book four here, but I'm glad that you've read it and you see kind of the choices I made and where they led to. And, you know, you're cool with that. I I was really, you know, one of the things that scared me about the very idea that Tony had, Tony Rivera at Grey Matter, had about serializing this thing was two. Uh, there were two things that scared me the most. One is how people will react to book one, because if they don't react well to book one, you're screwed. <laughs> you're going to publish yeah. three subsequent right. papers after that. that. Yeah. Right. No one is going to give a shit about. Or And the other part of it was, how are they going to react to book four? Now that they've read all these other all the other pieces of it, once they get to book four, if they hate it, they're going to hate the whole thing. doesn't matter really how they felt about one, two, and three. If you if you don't stick the dismount, you're screwed. Yeah, because so, in the end, it's all one story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, you know, that has kept me, uh, that has kept me up at night uh, quite a bit, waiting for this last piece to come out, because it's sort of like, once it comes out, once I get the general reaction from people, I can relax a little. Yeah, and you know, book four is coming out soon, but, um, Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. the day this podcast is live, (laughs) the day (laughs) the book is out. Yeah. Go get it. But yeah, kind of having read the whole thing, I, I think that you did do a great job with the ending and 
you know, obviously we could see from at least your first fear with book one, like I can't, I log in the Twitter like every day when I, you know, if I'm just sitting there and I'm bored, like I'm on it all the time, just checking it. I can't, I'm pretty sure like no matter how many times I open up Twitter, I always see something about the fearing. So yeah, the, uh, I have to say that the reaction so far to, the, the complete book of The Fearing, at least as much as people know about it, has been really humbling. I mean, uh, better than I could have ever hoped for. Certainly, I'm thinking better than Tony, because this was Tony's idea to serialize this. And I'm sure he's had a couple of, you know, when we first put out the ARCs for book four, we didn't hear anything back for a while from anybody. You know, and we kind of thought, well, people are going to get this and they're going to read it right away and then we'll start hearing right away. And we didn't. We didn't hear back for like a week. And, you know, part of of your brain is thinking, well, these are all people. They all have their own lives. They're not, you know, you can think that they're just, you know, standing by the mailbox slavering to receive your book. (laughs) But that isn't necessarily quite the case. Um, And he had sent me a note. Uh probably about a week after the ARCs went out saying, well, you know, I, I, I'm really nervous. I haven't heard anything at all from anybody. And, per, and perhaps you're not quite the gymnast you think you are because we, we were always joking about me, you know, being able to stick the dismount, being able to stick the dismount. And, uh, yeah, so that was a great, great, uh, worry for both of us, but I'm glad so far, knock on wood that, uh, that I think people are reacting well to the the whole story. So, yeah, shoo. Yeah, yeah and I th- I think uh, I I suspect that reader response too will be overwhelmingly positive for the whole experience. I hope so. I mean, you know, I, this was a book that I really dumped a lot of my heart and soul into over a longer period of time than anything else that I've ever written. So um, it was hard to write. It was, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a big book. It's got a lot of characters. It's got big ideas. Uh, it took me a long time to do it. It, it, it probably uh, made Deb concerned about my ability to finish a book. <laughs> um, so I'm glad that, I'm glad that, it seems to be doing well out in the uh, out in the marketplace. I'm, it's it's a it's a great weight off my shoulders, and it is again very humbling. I mean, uh, you know, there's so many things that go into writing a book of any length, uh, whether it's a short story or a novella or a novel or whatever, that uh, you know that you can definitely pour your heart and soul into, and that aren't well received for one reason or another when they get out. And, you know, that's not necessarily because of anything that has to to do with the writer or anything that the writer's in control of. It's just, you know, you do your best to put a story down on the page and you send it out. And, you know, the reaction of readers is the reaction of readers. Um, So I never count on the fact that people are going to love anything that I do when I put it out. I'm just not wired that way. So it's nice. Yeah, that, to, it's nice to hear it. That would be a recipe for disappointment, at least well, once or yeah. twice. 
Exactly. And I would much rather be proved wrong in that, oh, people really did like it, rather than be proved wrong by, you know, oh, people really hated it. And I thought people yeah. would love it. So, yeah. you know, You're... this is... This is another reason why I, you know, my next book is going to be a much more um, intimate, um, smaller scale story because I really thought that I needed to to step back from this huge kind of world building, you know, gigantic cast of characters, you know, huge idea story and just tell something that was a little bit more personal and, and intimate. Yeah, and you know, without spoiling things, I think it's interesting you said that that I wrote a novel. Fuck out of everything. No, (laughs) no, no. This is about a spoiler in book four. Okay. (laughs) Okay. But I know, like you, you're the novel you're talking about. Shane and I know which one you're referencing Mm -hmm. because, like, we're obviously huge fans and follow you on Twitter pretty closely. (laughs) But uh. I find it interesting that you wrote that book, you know, to kind of in response to this, but mm-hmm. there's certain things about the fearing overall that now that I thought about it, I think it might have influenced another project that you're working on. And I was just wondering, you know, how much of the fearing influenced, you know, basically everything you're writing after. Uh you know what? Are you referring to the cosmic thing that I'm? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I have, uh, I have been pretty uh, direct, I think, over the course of a couple of years in how I feel about Lovecraft. Um, I like certain Lovecraft stories, but I don't particularly. He's not one of my favorite authors. He ha- he tends to have a. a kind of an arid humorlessness that I, I don't care for. Yeah, um, same. And, you know, if you were to drop me, if you were to give me a choice, Poe or Lovecraft, it would be Poe, Poe, Poe all day long. Um, Lovecraft, you know, I, I like certain Lovecraft stories uh, at the Mountains of Madness, I particularly like. But even then, you know, uh, Poe's... Uh, whatever it is, I can't, uh, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym is a much better, you know, version of that story than at the mountains of madness. So, but, you know, I, I, I have thought often that I, I'm constantly saying, um, how much I don't like Lovecraft and how much I don't like cosmic horror, but I seem to be writing a bunch of it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I I can't tell you why that is. I don't know. Um, I think what really came to a head, there's there's a a part of book four that touches on this. Uh, That's not too much of a a spoiler, I don't think. But what really caught me was uh, I did a story for uh, Mark Matthews, who put together uh, a year or two ago, put together something called Garden of Fiends. Yeah. which was a anthology on addiction horror. And uh, I really didn't have anything. Mark wanted a story for me, and I didn't really have anything. I had a – it really wasn't a trunk story, but it was something that had been kicking around. I'd been kicking around for years, never sold. And um, I ended up giving that to Mark and then instantly regretting it. I, I felt like Mark needed a better story from me than something like that. 
So when Mark uh, decided he was going to do a sequel to uh, Garden of Fiends, uh, he asked me if I would do another story. And I hemmed and hawed because I really didn't have anything. And I'm really, I'm not, I don't, I don't have a lot of people in my life, nor do I have a particularly addictive personality, unless it's unless it's food. <laughs> um, but I felt bad about the first story. Mark's going to probably roll his eyes when I tell you this, but I felt <laughs> bad about the first story. So I thought, okay, I will. I'll do something. I'll do something for you. And this time he wanted novellas. So I racked my brain and I racked my brain and I racked my brain, and I had a, a story title that I'd been. You know that I'd jotted down in a notebook somewhere that I'd been playing with in in my head for a while, called the Melting Point of Meat. Um, I really loved the title, and I needed to marry it with an idea here. Um, so I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought about it, and so I gave. Mark was looking for, uh, you know, can you give me a an idea where you're going to go? So I make sure that you don't, you know, cover ground that that one other uh, author is going to cover. So I said, well, I, you know, a uh, person who's addicted to pain, <laughs> king of pain, person who's addicted to pain. <laughs> um, and he was like, OK, great. That's fine. That's 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 fantastic. And then I realized that I'd locked myself into a story that I had no idea what I was going to do. And so when I eventually sat down and wrote the story, um, I found the character's voice pretty quickly. So that was that's usually my key to get in. Uh, but it became pretty clear to me just, to, you know, five or six pages in the story that this was amping up to be another cosmic horror story. You're um, being haunted. I, I don't yeah. know what it is, but when I got done with it, I was pretty happy with it. And I showed it to Mark and Mark was very happy with it. So I thought, you know what, I've got some, a couple of other ideas rattling around in my brain that are probably cosmic horror stories. And that's why I put out that tweet seeing if anybody was interested and it turns out that there were quite a few people interested so um i don't want to make any announcements right now but i think i'm i think i've got a publisher and i think we're working out the the details of of how this is going to come to together and when but yeah i think that um for some reason even though i've denied it over the years there's something about cosmic horror that 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 does kind of catch in my filter. Um, not quite sure exactly what it is. And I think I probably got to play around with it for a little bit more to, to figure that out. But uh, it's an interesting direction to go in for me, at least because I haven't done a huge amount of it. So uh, I'm getting to play with some things that I don't normally, normally get to touch on in stories. Um, so it's kind of fun. Well, and you get to take something and do it the halfway. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hopefully, the the, the uh, places where I have touched on cosmic horror, are, people will be able to still say, "Oh, well, that's a Taft story." Um, it may be cosmic horror, but it's still a Taft story. And I think that when Mark's uh, this follow-up, which is called Lullabies for Suffering, when it comes out in January. Um, and it's got some great stories in there by, uh, let's see who we got, Keelan Patrick Berth and Caroline Kepneys and Gabino and Mark and me and Mercedes uh, Yardley. Um, Gabino Iglesias? Yeah, you said him. Yeah. yeah. That guy. I think, 
I think that when people read that story, they're going to be blown away. But on the same token, they're going to immediately know it's a story from me. So, you know, when I put together, when I'm putting together this collection of cosmic horror novellas, you know, I, I'm pretty confident that I can bring the same thing to the table. Some, you know, some really cool cosmic horror stories, but with my own kind of spin on them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you will for sure. And it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that, um, I was talking to Shane, like some of these scenes in the fearing mm-hmm. and, uh, even the story that you wrote for us, love tap. I was yeah. like, is it just me? Cause I like, I read most of your stuff, if not all of it. And like most of it, you know, it's very, it's very hard driven, but it's never usually super like, violent i guess right but i'm like man i'm like lately like in the fearing and with love tap love tap i'm like it seems like taff is getting a little bit more uh a little bit more hardcore with like the violence and stuff (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like that's pretty interesting (laughs) i think uh, you know i've always been kind of i i've made my way kind of as a more you know i quiet uh subtle maybe literary horror kind of writer but i think you know it's still horror and every once in a while i think you want to i as an author want to surprise readers so you know sometimes if you're reading a story of mine you're thinking well this you know this is a taft story this is a taft story and you know this that's great that's that's perfectly acceptable but you know every once in a while it's nice to have a reader get to a certain point in the story and then be punched in the nose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that definitely happens, but it's funny because like you said, with like the cosmic horror and even with this, mm-hmm. like it definitely has the same feeling and hallmarks. Like you said, that this is a Taft story, but well, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. That's, I thought that's the goal. I thought it was interesting. Cause I was like, you said it was more, a lot of the stuff you were known for was like subdued. And I'm like, man, I'm like, Taft's been on kind of a nasty streak lately. <laughs> oh, well, have you read, have you read my story in Lullabies for Suffering? I'm going to be starting that very <laughs> soon. Well, keep that thought in mind when you read that one, because that's probably as rough a story as I've ever written. Oh man. Now, now I can't wait. <laughs> I think I even shocked Mark because he was like, Oh my God. <laughs> Mark's a hard guy to shock too. Yeah, well, yeah. Again, especially when you're not you're not expecting it. Yeah, from, especially from somebody like me. Especially like if it shocked him. Like we had Max on last week, and his story had the uh, we like to refer to him as dick spiders. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, if it shocked Mark, then yeah, it probably is probably the most uh, hardcore thing you've done. Yeah, you'll yeah. That's why I mentioned that one because it it is a little bit more. Well, it's a lot more hardcore than anything I've written lately, and and it is definitely cosmic horror. So uh, yeah, there probably is something to all that. Yeah, and uh, you know it's kind of interesting because, like I said, we've kind of followed you for a while, and you know now you've got all these different things that are starting to come out in your work and like how has that been for you like tapping into these different sides like cosmic horror and some of these more you know violent things it's cool because i think as you know i've been writing now for 30 years 
um, writing and selling for 30 years. And, you know, you want to, I want to try different things. I want to write in different ways. I want to write about different things. I, you know, I still, I, I still want to be in horror. I still, that's still the wheelhouse that I'm, I'm in, but you know, I want to, I want to get to that horror in different ways and I want to tell different stories. And, and I do want to, you know, you want to surprise readers every once in a while so they don't get totally bored with you. So, you know, I've got a couple things that I'm working on now. I've got a, uh, you know, um, talking to Tony right now about when my next novel that he's got, is going to come out. He left and, uh, you know, working with somebody else possibly for this, you know, four novella collection of cosmic horror. Um, me and uh, Danny Stone and Eric Johnson and Josh yeah. have our follow-up to uh, uh, I Can Taste the Blood, which is called Midnight Land, that you know, hopefully we're going to be able to make an announcement here in the next month or two. I think we pretty much got it placed. Um, the band is back together. The band is back together. <laughs> and then Josh and I have started on uh, this science fiction horror novel that we're collaborating on so he's got i wrote my chunk of about four thousand words and and packed it off to him and he's digesting it and gonna get back to me hopefully in the next week or two with his chunk and we're gonna be going back and forth you know and uh, you know neither one of us has written a science fiction horror novel so um that's gonna be fun um so yeah just stretching out in different ways you know, uh, I think it's, it just keeps it more, you know, it really keeps it more fun for me as a writer. And hopefully, you know, it, it may, it ensures that when people get a story from me, they know in some regards what they're going to get, but in other regards, they don't know what they're going to get. Well, and that's what makes, uh, like the, uh, collaboration with Mailerman. One of the reasons that's so interesting to me is because you've got Two supremely unique minds who mm-hmm. come, you know, every every single time one of you guys brings a story to the page, it's a different story than anybody's told before. Yeah, and I think uh, that's the most fun for me, uh, Shane, is, is, you know, working with somebody like Josh, who's got a mind that's just open, open, period. You know, nothing is too weird. I mean, when we talked about this, it was like, OK, let's just make sure that every any direction that we want to go in is on you know it's open and josh is an interesting dude too because you start talking creative with john and he'll wear your ass out oh yeah yeah so (laughs) it's it really is in a lot of uh ways it's like grabbing onto a live wire and uh you know you get this tremendous jolt of creativity uh but that's cool i mean that's uh I'm, I'm, you know, everything that I'm working on right now, I'm really looking forward to, to getting out there in front of people. So uh, uh, it's an exciting time. I'm very excited about the next couple of years, about where I'm headed as a writer and, and the kind of stuff that I'm, I'll be putting out there to market. So, yeah, um, I am too. Well, that's that's better yeah. than me being excited, really. <laughs> yeah, probably important. It's important for you to be excited, too, though. Because <laughs> if, if you don't surprise you, you're not going to surprise me. Well, that's you. true. And if I come off as a, you know, if you ask me if I'm excited, if I just go, eh, yeah, you know, whatever. 
<laughs> Not really. I'm kind of, you know, hopefully you will be. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think the next, I like to look a couple years down the road and kind of line up what I'm doing. And the next couple years, I think, uh, you know, look pretty exciting. So if I can manage not to, you know, uh, have strokes and fall down the stairs and all that other shit that I do, um, it should be a great couple of years. Yeah, it's kind of we've, we've hit an age, John, where we need a stasis machine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I need to be. I feel like I'm a comic book that needs to be kept in a mylar bag, right? <laughs> so I can keep my near mint. Uh, but uh, yeah, I actually probably have already sailed well past near mint. I'm probably I'm only probably at about fine now. Yeah, I was pretty dinged up when I came off the mint, so. <laughs> but I think it'll be, you know, and then I have another novel that I'm working on, uh, Occult House, which is going to be my kind of uh, haunted house story. So, uh, lot of stuff, lot of stuff. Cool, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, the fearing, it seems like I know you referred to it as like your masterwork and you've been working on it for so long. Right. It kind of seems like it's almost setting the stage for some of these things. Like, I really feel like out of all of your books, which I've loved every one, like I said, this is the book where I'm on Twitter all the time and all I see is about the fearing. <laughs> so I think I think it's very good and it's cool that it kind of, you know, influenced some of these projects in a way. Yeah, hopefully kind of where uh, it's going. with you seeing all that stuff on Twitter, hopefully the people at Netflix or Hulu or yeah, Shutter or somebody. I, is- I wanted to ask you about that uh, Netflix challenge because I'm on Twitter a lot, but I miss a lot because of my work hours. But I saw that and I was just curious, you know, what kind of kick-started the netflix uh, uh i saw challenge. a story a couple weeks ago about netflix um you know since they're having to compete now with amazon and apple and disney plus their uh, story they had some unbelievable amount of money it was like 10 billion dollars that netflix was going to be dropping on content um so they can get more you know content onto their uh service and i just thought well 10 billion dollars daddy likes some of that um, <laughs> and i think i got some stuff that would make some some great tv so i've been tweeting at them um i will tell you just as a sort of an aside i won't get too uh uh because i don't know too much at this point and it's way too early but i was contacted by somebody uh wow. about a week ago um, that could be something. It might be nothing. It usually generally is nothing, but it could be something. And, uh, it was certainly at the highest level I've ever been contacted at. Um, so, you know, say a prayer to the ancient gods because it, it could turn into something. Oh, absolutely. Especially regardless of what property it was for, whether you know, property, whether it be yeah. the fearing or, uh, you know, any of your other works, but that would be great. And Shane and I have long said to each other, you know, that they should start contacting more writers, especially yeah. you know, with the success of like Creepshow, 
you have a lot of horror writers that were involved with that. You know, Josh's right book, book Bird Box, and that movie, and uh, Tim well, Levin's book. There's I, so yeah. many good ideas out there. Yeah. I, we've talked before. I think that we really are right now in a golden age of horror, and there's so much good stuff out there. Um, uh, you know, so many, such a huge amount of great authors right now are writing in horror um, that it seems crazy that not, you know, more of the stuff is not showing up on uh, on these services. You know, they're all scrambling for content. And, yeah, it seems like missed opportunities. Yeah, exactly. So um, I'm happy to be at the, the spear point of all that for everybody. So hopefully they'll be uh, making my phone ring and. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to keep spamming Netflix's uh, timeline. There you go. I, I've done <laughs> uh, something every day, just a little, just a little poke, see what. Uh, and I don't know if that was what resulted, you know, if if that was what this came from or not. I have no idea, but I'm gonna keep it up, and uh, you know, it's just a fun little thing. Oh yeah. I, I'd say I'd say it probably was because of that, because regardless of whether it be like other writers or creatives uh-huh. like a lot of times or like even this guy i had come in uh for a class in college he was like a musician and he mm-hmm. said he always got these opportunities by putting himself out there and like never saying no yeah like right. even if he didn't have it so it probably was that because you know if you put yourself out there you're you're really not out anything yeah, but exactly. Best That's case what I scenario. Thought. Yeah, best case scenario, you know, something like this happens. Worst case, eh, you're no worse off than before. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's a fun little fun little way. If I'm only reminding you know, readers out there of the stuff that I've got for them to take advantage of, hey, that's that's good too. So Yeah, and I mean it, it's kind of a it's kind of a boost for really the whole community too with your work as well as other people's work and the potential yeah. there yeah yeah but I, I i segued into that because i lost my train of thought and didn't want to sound stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, secret is safe with us <laughs> i sort i have another uh sort of off-topic tangent for john but sure. i know you've kind of dabbled in this but have you ever thought about kind of going into the editor role and like doing like a big type of either anthology or, you know, anything like that as an editor. You know, I've got an idea right now that I've I've been kicking around. I'm trying to find a publisher. Um, Obviously uh, you guys all know the kind of hurly burly that's going on right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. In the publishing world. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it's a shame. It is. It is a shame, and and I don't want to get deep into that. Nah. Because I really don't have a I really don't have a, a dog in that that fight, other than the fact that you know publishers should pay authors. Period. End of. Damn discussion. right. Damn right. But uh, you know, I'm trying to find uh, uh, a publisher who would be able to bring this idea to market. Um, I've already got probably about six or eight uh, authors. Pretty decent authors interested in it if i can find somebody who you know frankly can bankroll it 
um, that's really the problem these days, I think, is finding someone who can, uh, you know, put the money on the table to get it done. Um, so, you know, I did, I, I offered when I brought the idea of I Can Taste the Blood to Tony at Grey Matter, um, you know, he wanted me to be a co-editor on it. So I did that, um, you know, and that wasn't particularly hard to do. I liked all the guys that, that had written stories and I liked what they wrote and, you know, uh, I probably didn't edit it as, as meticulously as Tony would have liked, but Tony is such a meticulous editor. I don't know if anybody could, you know, come up to his level. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think with me, it would have to be the right idea and the right group of people of writing the stories. Um, otherwise my interest kind of doesn't lay in that regard. I think there's a lot of other better people doing that, you know, Murano and yeah, uh, David Ward and, you know, people like that that are out there, you know, Michael Bailey putting together a great uh, group anthologies and that kind of stuff. You know, this one idea I had, uh, I'm I'm kind of guarding it kind of closely because I think it is a, a decent idea, um, but we'll see. You know, I, I I'm certainly not closed to that idea of of doing that kind of stuff, and I and I have you know over the last you know four or five years I've realized that that it's better that I find it better to not wait around for people to invite me to do things, but rather than just come up with projects on my own and you know <laughs> put them put them together and put them out there. So, um, so yeah, I think if the, you know, the right idea comes along and the right authors come along, I, I would be very interested in doing that kind of stuff. I'd be very interested in reading it too. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I think that, you know, uh, you know, I, I know enough great authors right now, uh, poking around in this field that, you know, this idea I have right now would just be such a great, be such a great thing, it would, and I think it would make people's jaws drop. Um, really? Yeah, it's just a question of can we afford to get it done? Because I don't want to go to some of these authors and say, yeah, we can only afford to pay you fifty bucks for a story. Ah! <laughs> I don't, I don't think that would work. So, um, <laughs> so we'll see. But I'll sit on the idea, and you know, when the right opportunity comes, we'll you know, we'll hopefully be able to do something with it. Yeah, I, w I would do anything to help you get that off the ground, whether it be <laughs> spreading the word or whatever, because even though I don't even know what it is, like, I'm just sitting there like, yeah, I need to read this. <laughs> it's, a, well, it's a cool idea. It really is. And, and uh, I've seen a couple people try something similar, but I don't think it attacked it in the right way. Um, and I think I've got the way to, to unlock it. And I think, you know, it involves not just the, who the authors are and what the kind of stories you were telling are, but, you know, down to the look of the, the look of the book, the package of the book, the name of the book. Um, it's a whole thing and it could be really cool. 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 Well, <laughs> um, I guess we won't keep you the entire night, John. <laughs> um, 
do well, you we've have? Got to, we've got to regroup so we have something to talk about for book four. Absolutely, that's why I'm sitting yeah. there going, "Well, we could we could go on to book four <laughs> now." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so wow, it'd be midnight before we get out of here. Uh, yeah, and I and I and I'd be drunk by then. Right, right. <laughs> Me too. I'd have to go get another gigantic gin and tonic. <laughs> Not that that's a bad thing. So then we'll go ahead. Do you have anything else you want to add before we go ahead and let you get on with your evening and back to your no, life and your I, lovely wife? Happy no, anniversary, I, by the way, man. Thank you. Thank you. Five years. Yeah, it's been great. It's, uh, you know, it was a big life change for me. Uh, all for the better. All for the better. So uh, she is a patient and lovely woman. <laughs> she would have to be. <laughs> she would have to be. <laughs> so. Uh, no, I I think, you know, I probably do this a lot, but probably not enough that, you know, I deeply, deeply appreciate all of the support that you and you guys and, and the other reviewers uh, in the horror market uh, have given to this book. It's been phenomenal. And I don't think that you uh, I don't think that you can function in the horror market without. Uh, having people like you guys on on my side, on your side. So uh, I want to give you a big thanks for that. Um, oh no, thanks tremendous. necessary, man. It's yeah. uh, the work. Uh, the work earns all the accolades. Well, it does, but yeah. you, you do need people out there beating the drums for you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It just it just makes what I have to do a whole hell of a lot easier. Um, so I, you know, I want you guys to know how deeply, deeply appreciative I am of all the time that you spend with me talking to me. I mean, it's great. And we have a lot of fun, but you know, uh, for what this does to, uh, my career for my career and for the stuff that I put out in the marketplace, uh, you know, there's not enough thanks that I can give you for it. Uh, it is nothing but our pleasure doing but, uh, what we do, I'm, man. I, yeah, our pleasure. <laughs> Hell, we could talk to you all day just shooting the shit on here. Well, and we're going to have to figure out some way to all get together here because, you know. Yeah, it's going to happen one of these days. Tony yeah. and I Tony and I one time joked about uh, taking a, <laughs> taking a road trip and just showing up on your lawn one morning. Hey, we've got guest rooms, so that's not a problem. So, you know? yeah, don't. Don't don't uh, rule that out. <laughs> I will not. And you know, I think I may have uh, uh, may have talked Tony into attending StokerCon in Denver in 2021. So 2021, uh, you said. Yeah, 2021. It's going to be in Denver. I will cool. be there. I think I've talked Tony into it, and uh, so keep that in mm. mind. Nice. Will do. My um, stepbrother that, lives out there, so well, that, there you go. See, that, you got a room. Might be, yeah, that might be possible. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great to see you guys. It would be great. It would be great. After all these years, you'd think it's right. about damn time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I all right, this. all right, brother. We're gonna go ahead and let you go then, and okay. um, we will be talking about the Fearing Book Four. Very soon. Very soon. Um, but don't wait for that, man. If that book drops, you pick it up and read it right now. Yep. Okay, guys. All right. Peace, John. 
Have a good See one, you, John. Bye, Rich. Bye, Shane. Take it easy. See ya. And hang up. <laughs>